Welcome, everybody, to the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast for Tuesday, May 17th. This is Mark Schofield, my good friend and fellow comrade in arms. Chuck Zada is out somewhere. I think he's scouting some Brazilian youth soccer player who he thinks might be maybe the next uh, big-time kicker drafted. Um, oh, you know but to make up the beach. for it. He's on the beach. I know he's not. Of course he's on the beach. And, folks, that voice you just heard is the one and only Matt Waldman, who's been kind enough to join us again. Matt, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Excellent. Fun to have you here, as always. We're going to talk a little post-draft RSP. If people are listening and have been living under a rock and they don't know exactly what that Matt, can you educate them for a bit? Sure. The post-draft RSP... Uh... What it is, it's the second component of the rookie scouting portfolio package that I sell every year. The pre-draft comes out um, on April 1st, and it's and it's really all my research that's um, created to look at talent long term. You know, somewhere between a, I would say a four to six year outlook in terms of what I think the player is capable of doing, regardless of what scheme he's in, regardless of what team he's with, um, where he was drafted. None of that really matters in, in the pre-draft. And then what I do is a week after the NFL draft, I put together a post-draft look that gives you a two to three year outlook for dynasty leagues um, based on the scheme that they're in, um, the depth chart that they're working with where they were drafted and I put together a cheat sheet that gives you um, tiers based on you know based on where I rank them with those types of scheme fits Um, I give you some analysis on scheme fit with a lot of the players as well as a depth chart and contract analysis that gives you an idea of what that player is going to be looking at with his team two to three years from now um, in terms of whether or not, you know, like a guy like DeAndre Washington of Oakland, who he and Jalen Richard of Southern Miss are the only two players who um, will have a contract that's signed through next year um, compared to the rest of the players on the depth chart. So that gives you an idea of what Oakland might be doing based on whether these guys perform well or whether they don't perform well enough to be starters. so that gives you an idea as a fantasy owner what to do. So you get you get rankings, you get overrated, underrated, good scheme, bad scheme fits, um, and again the cheat sheets that you're that you'd be looking for that give you you know a couple pages to hone everything in. And and I even do um, average draft um, placement analysis that gives you an idea of my rankings versus where um, the ADP of each player is so that you can know I value this guy 2.5 rounds higher than the than the rest so you can wait you can wait two rounds and decide that you're going to get a guy that I would rank you know in maybe the top 15 of this class but you might be able to get him at the end of the second round or the middle of the third round um so you kind of get an idea of how to marry my rankings with what adp is telling you now i want to start with the overrated players in this draft now we're gonna this is gonna be a two-part show we're gonna focus on running backs wide receivers and tight ends in this one and there's a name that um popped up earlier in the draft than I think you expected and a lot of people expected. And that's Alabama running back Kenyon Drake, who goes to the Miami Dolphins. Now, I was actually lucky enough to be with you live when this pick was made. You weren't happy when it was made then. I've read the post-draft RSP. I don't think you've softened on that stance one bit. No, not at all. And it's it's just one of those things that Kenyon Drake could develop into a good running back. So if, if you're you know, to look at it long term and take the softer stance of what could happen is 
if Kenyon Drake decide, you know, works at his game, can develop certain aspects I'm going to detail in a moment, then he might become a good between-the-tackles running back who can be used as an every-down back. He has that physical ability. So if you're a person who believes that players get coached up in the NFL in terms of their fundamental skills and that that's, you know, that's a regular thing that happens, then you're going to believe in Kenyon Drake. I'm not a believer that that regularly happens based on the NFL players I've spoken with who attest that really what you get taught in the NFL is scheme and strategy, X's and O's, and that in practice, you, you know, you're getting to get exposed to different drills um, as warm-ups, um, as ways for you to get an understanding of things that you should be working on more in your off time, but it's a matter of working on them diligently in your off time and doing you know, doing that kind of extra work to become the very best you can be. And what Kenyon Drake has to work on is actual running back skills in terms of how to run with balance and cut with balance, how to keep his pad level low, how to read blocking schemes so that he can set up his blocks and understand where his where his blocks are supposed to be so that he's not consistently trying to just out-athlete people. And if you notice Alabama's um, history with running backs, I know there are a lot of people that seem to get, you know, they're either super high or super low on these guys um, based on, you know, their bad experience with Glenn Coffey in fantasy leagues or waiting too long with Mark Ingram or feeling fed up with Eddie Lacy's weight fluctuation um, or Trent Richardson busting. But if you really look at the ability of these backs, the only back that I've looked at um, over that period of time who I didn't think was a good NFL talent in terms of being a potential every down starter was Glenn Coffey. Um, and he retired and went into the military. So, you know, when you look at the rest of these guys, there are other factors involved. But all those backs I mentioned, including T.J. Yeldon um, and Derrick Henry, have all run between the tackles at Alabama. That Even when they were paired with the with the elder statesmen back in that offense and they were running in tandem, they all ran the same plays. They all ran up the middle. They all ran the, the bread and butter plays that Alabama used, except Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake, more often than not, was used as kind of a Felix Jones compliment to Darren McFadden at Arkansas, where they ran him right. you know, on end of rounds. They used him in, the, in space, on, you know, in screen in screen game and draw plays any chance they could where they could just capitalize on his speed now it's kind of curious you know if you if you don't even look at the what he did between the tackles or didn't do well between the tackles it should be kind of curious to you that of all those backs i mentioned he's the only one that they didn't use consistently between the tackles that's because they knew he wasn't that gifted in terms of conceptually understanding the game at this stage. Now he might develop that, but it's something that's kind of late at this stage of your um, your development in the um, as a as a running back to have to learn a lot of these things unless you're a convert to a position like C.J. Precise. Um, Ken, Kenyon Drake has been playing this position for a while, so the way I look at it is if he gets some help outside. Um, 
of the Dolphins organization and works with someone and really refines his game, he has a shot to be very good physically, um, but he's not a guy that I would draft as early compared to the fact that you had guys like Kenneth Dixon available, C.J. Procise, who's actually working at his craft there. I think Paul Perkins was still available. You had a lot of players who were just – to me, more refined, more versatile, better at what they could use, and not that far off athletically. That you know, to me, the whole concept of great athletes kind of goes down the drain in the NFL because once you reach that baseline, that you say you're good enough to hang in the NFL. The rest of it is how fast you process the game, and he doesn't understand enough about what he's doing as an interior runner um, between between either zone or gap schemes to really be that great. I mean, look at C.J. Spiller. C.J. Spiller's had one great season um, really as a runner, and now he's just used as a glorified space player because he never learned how to really read blocking schemes. All that speed doesn't really do you all that much if you're averaging you know, less than two yards or less than three yards or less than four yards a carry. Um, because of the fact that you're really just a boom-bust player. And I think that's what he's going to be if he doesn't work at it. So keep an eye on where, you know, if he says he's working with um, people outside of the uh, outside of the Dolphins organization to really refine his skills as a runner. Otherwise, I think you're going to see a guy who's they're going to try and use as much as they can in space, but he won't be a, an effective between-the-tackles guy. Now, you just mentioned some Alabama running backs. You mentioned the idea of running back drills. This is slightly off topic a bit, but I want to give you a chance to talk for a few moments about that Derek Henry running back footwork drill video that popped up this week and how I believe it was the Sporting News basically put that out there on Twitter and said, well, DeMarco Murray has nothing to worry about. Look at how bad his footwork is. I know you got fired up over this, so I wanted to give you a few moments to dive in on this. Yeah, I saw that the other night. I saw Damian Woody retweet it, and he was equally frustrated. The 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 former Jets offensive tackle um, and Patriots offensive tackle um, retweet this and and just say, you know, off one drill, just sheesh, you know. And I and I completely agreed with that. I, I was really kind of it was kind of surprising because the sporting news is such a venerable institution. Um, so I would say, you know, this is some, this is kind of unlike them to have a, an analysis where they look at one bag drill and decide that they're going to make that kind of an analysis, or at least the writer there did. And I think that's more probably an experience on the writer's part um, more than anything else. And I'm sure he does good work in other ways and we all make mistakes. Um, but the, the regardless of who the writer is, because I don't want to make it personal for the writer um the the thing that kind of fired me up about that is that i think it's analysis that needs to be um handled a little bit with a little bit more context because not all running backs learn the same bag drills sometimes the bag drills are set up specifically so that they can get the most out of the running back by showing him what they want him to learn and get better at and then have him work on that on his own um, so that he can eventually develop a little bit more facility with those types of skills. So watching a player fail once on a bag drill should not tell you the guy has bad footwork. Um, otherwise, I, you know, I, I showed a tape of Ezekiel Elliott's first footwork drills using these um, 
you know, doing cuts, and he slipped on his first drill. Should I say that he doesn't have good cutting ability, and that you know that he doesn't have good? Well, I mean, work? I think that's how it works, Matt. Right? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. So it's just to to me that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you you should go watch a foot, and then you might say, well, Elliot, we know he can cut. Derrick Henry, we're not sure because you know he's a lot of people have given analysis that his footwork's bad, and I would counter that and say that actually his footwork is quite good it's just that you cannot compare him to a scat back you have to understand what he does well and what he doesn't do well what he does well is make cuts from you know one guard to the other you know he can cut across this the width of the center to the guard and make that type of a cutback if you're asking him to make LaShawn McCoy you know J- Jamal Charles types of cutbacks. Then you're then you're sh- you were shopping for the wrong kind of back. Um, you're looking for a guy who can get downhill, who can you know, alter the the pace and the width of his footwork to be able to um, change the angle of pursuit that a linebacker will. Um, you know, shoot into the hole. He's someone that can delay his footwork just, in, you know, delay his stride just enough so that he can set up a, a crease. So put him in a in a power blocking scheme, in a man scheme, or even in some zone schemes where you're not going to ask him to do a lot of, uh, you know, strong cutting, cutting back on a consistent basis. He's going to be fine. When people compare him to Brandon Jacobs and say, Brandon Jacobs didn't have great footwork, Brandon Jacobs could bounce plays outside just like Derrick Henry can. The, the The problem is, is that Brandon Jacobs conceptually tried to be something he was not. And when Tom Coughlin would pull him from the game and correct him and say, "Look, you're sitting on the bench until you, until you run it up the middle and, and drop those pads and do what we ask you to do," when he'd do that, he was just fine. He was a very good back in the NFL and a starter and a and a quality starter. But at least. At least every other week, it seemed to me, and I'm probably exaggerating here, but often enough, you'd watch him early on in a game, try to bounce a play outside, get pulled by Coughlin like, hey, you know, McFly, this is not why we brought you in here, um, and he would correct right. and fix it. And it was just one of those things that, you know, that Jacobs did. Derrick Henry's not that way. He's a smarter back, if you ask me. He's a wiser back about what he does. And, you know, I'm actually going to have um, Chad Spann, who is a former NFL running back, who is doing his own consulting with college prospects. He's worked with C.J. Procise pre-draft. C.J. sought him out after looking at some analysis that he had that was done from him on him about his skills um, running zone and gap plays and understanding how to run them. And he sought out a guy like Spann to get better at the conceptual understanding of the game and I, I showed the tape to span this 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 um henry tape to span and he and he was like yeah i definitely would like to write about this and i completely agree that it's taken out of context and let's so stay tuned for that on the rsp um, blog because he'll have a nice analysis about that particular uh that particular tape and give people a better idea of context and why you know one shouldn't be too concerned about what they saw from one bag drill. Yeah, and we'll definitely look for that. And to, to that context point, I'm curious, you know, this comes out May 13th. I want to see that drill on August 13th. Yeah. Like, let's see, you know, what he looks like a couple months from now, because 
you know, if we see the slightest bit of improvement, then I think it goes to exactly what you're talking about. And like, look, this is a guy that if he's going to work at his craft and get just, you know, get some exposure to this, maybe this is the first time he ran this drill. We don't know. One more point. I was watching a football life last year and they had Earl Campbell on. And I remember they showed some tape of Earl Campbell in his first training camp in August and he could not keep his feet on a basic drill. And they were lamenting that and worried about him because of that basic drill. Um, you know, this was almost 40 years ago. Um, and I think since then the NFL's figured out that, uh, you know, that one drill and a guy slipping and falling on a drill doesn't mean an awful lot. It just means he's got, he's got to work on a certain area here or there. But Earl Campbell was while he had great feet for his size, he's like Derrick Henry in terms of feet for his size. It's not, he wasn't a scat back. And, uh, and I think we saw what Earl Campbell did in his rookie year. We definitely saw that. I want to meet some of the underrated guys in this running back and wide receiver class. Um, two running backs, Marshall, Ford Washington, and DeAndre Washington, whom you have already opened for Oakland. Why do you think that these guys might be in a good spot to do this early? Yeah, and I think contract tells you a lot right off the bat. Um, first, with with Marshall, you you realize that you know Matt Jones. Matt Jones is the lead back, the starter right now. Um, but then you look at guys like Silas Red and and Chris Thompson, um, and there's really not much behind there. Chris Thompson did a, enough. He's a talented back, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's more of a he's more of your Brian Westbrook. Um, Darren Sproles mold type of player, um, but he's he can be effective between the tackles if he could stay healthy. But he's had no track record of being able to do that since he was at at Florida State. So when you're looking at guys who can be on the field every down, the only two backs who really fit that description and have high end athletic ability are Jones and Marshall. Jones had the most fumbles per carry of any player in the league last year. Um, I believe at running back, or at least it was one of the highest amounts. Um, he's an, a bit of an upright runner. He still has things to learn in terms of um, staying within blocking schemes. You notice that he he did he had one really strong game last year, and the rest of his carries and his outlook wasn't all that strong. And he ended up splitting time with Thompson enough that Thompson actually outperformed him on a per carry basis. Um, so there's room for improvement there. And when you look at Keith Marshall, Keith Marshall's skills, you know, people are all talking about the injury. But let me tell you, if injury was really that big of an issue for him, he would not have been drafted and would not have been signed. Um, the fact that he wasn't drafted is because of the injuries effects on his resume more than the injury itself. He's cleared to go. He's good to go in terms of his knee. Um, that was something that was checked out, and the combine performance showed that he was more than you know athletically ready. And his tape last year showed that he he showed you know people didn't see the long the top end speed, but that's because he played more often from an eye formation. He was facing, you know, stacked boxes more often when he did play. And he was, you know, so he wasn't getting those awesome looks from a spread where once he got into the second level, a safety, he only had one safety to beat, and that safety was on the opposite side of the field where he was running. Um, that was what you saw a lot from him 
as a freshman at Georgia. Um, so, you know, you got to see a little bit more skills from him this particular year, even though it was in limited time. But the problem is, is when you look back at that resume, teams drafts are about risk management. And so the earlier you're going to pick a guy, the more likely you want to see high-end production at a strong school. You want to see a guy without an injury history. You want to see someone who has, you know, won awards or has done, you know, has done enough that you can look at and list off stats and data points that make you feel comfortable about a guy. And the fact that he didn't have a lot of starts, that he was, you know, that the injury kept him from being on the field for a year and then some change because he had some cascade injuries that are common to that recovery process. Nothing that was, you know, nothing that was long-term or anything to really worry about. It was just more stress of trying to adjust to the fact that you, you weren't completely comfortable on the knee that first year, which usually takes some time and you see it often in the NFL. So I liked him a lot. I think that he has a chance to beat Matt Jones, right? You know, really for at least earning some, I would say, earning some time as a committee back with him. And then if he can if he can show what I've, I've seen on tape, I think he's a more talented player than Matt Jones was entering the league. And I think he should at least force a committee role, um, if not be able to take over as a starter if he plays to his potential. And I think he could be a good starter in this league. Um, DeAndre Washington's a similar thing. I mean, you, you look... Latavius Murray's a boom-bust runner. He's not a guy that does a great job of reading his blocking schemes. Um, he's a little hesitant. He tries too hard to stop start on a lot of plays. He's just not – he's a guy who's who's what a lot of fantasy owners may like at first because he's tall, he's strong, he's fast, um, and when he hits it into the open field, he can take it all the way. He's a big play guy. But he doesn't get you those – four, five, six, seven-yard gains on a consistent basis that really make a running game hum. Um, he's a guy that gives you a lot of you know, negative two-yard gains, negative one-yard gains, and two- to three-yard gains, but isn't, isn't getting you everything that, should be, that, that he should. Um, so you have him. You have Roy Hallou, who's on a who has one year left. You also have Taiwan Jones, who's come back from playing cornerback. They switched him to cornerback, then switched him back to running back. He's on a one, he has one year left. George Atkinson, I believe, has one year left. And Atkinson is still learning how to run. He's kind of a Kenyon Drake type of player. Um, so that leaves DeAndre Washington, who Reggie McKenzie basically said, I see this guy as, <coughs> excuse me, I see him as a every down back. And he is. He's. He's short, but he's not small. He's got a, you know, he's got that low center of gravity that, and that size of thighs and bubble that, that that's kind of more of a 215 pound, 220 pound back if he had the same requisite height. Um, but the fact that he's smaller allows him to get under blocks and drive a little bit more for that extra two to three yards that a lot of um, taller backs with higher pad level can't get unless they hit the, the hole really hard. Um, 
he's very he's quite versatile out of the backfield. He's an excellent receiver. He's always been a big play guy with excellent burst. He hits the hole with conviction, and he he will exploit small creases that you want to see in the NFL. So even though he was someone that played in a spread system at Texas Tech, you also saw that ability and willingness to take small creases that you wouldn't assume from a scat back who played in a spread system. The only concern people have is of his pass protection, but I thought his pass protection was just fine. Um, He's just going to have to get a little bit better at um, probably – using his hips to deliver a punch, which I think most backs are still having to learn at this stage. But when it comes to taking a guy on and getting good hand placement and delivering that pop and stepping up into the pocket to do it, he does that very well. So I he's one of my favorite backs to draft in Dynasty Leagues right now, and he's someone I'll definitely be drafting at the end of larger redraft um, formats because of the fact that I don't think there's much between him and Latavius Murray, and I don't think Latavius Murray... Um, has developed enough as a running back to to really be a huge long-term threat. Staying with the running back position, Matt, is Ezekiel Elliott the best fit for any player, regardless of position, this entire draft? Or am I completely wrong on that? <laughs> I think no. Nah, I think that's a pretty. I think that's a pretty good assessment right there. He really is, and I just love the fact that that Dallas took him because they they recognize their weaknesses and their weaknesses were their defense. And they knew that getting one or two or even three or even drafting a whole draft worth of defensive players, unless they were drafting from, from, you know, the first 10 picks in the first round, they weren't going to be able to shore up that defense right away. And Tony Romo doesn't have that amount of time left in his career. Neither does Jason Witten. And that offensive line, you're probably not going to have all those guys signed through the point um, that your defense is going to get finally get good, that you're going to be able to keep everybody. So why not enhance your team with that great offensive line by giving them a running back who does what Darren McFadden and Alfred Morris do um, combined and does it better than them? And that's what you get with Elliott. So you get an, a guy that never has to come off the field. You get someone who's going to be able to run their schemes because he's good at zone and man blocking. Um, he's, he's experienced with both and does them well. And I think that what you've just found is that you've put a player who's kind of got Marshawn Lynch's kind of style um, or Corey Dillon's kind of style in Corey Dillon's youth and put him with an offensive line that neither of those guys have had for quite some time. Um, and you could wind up with one of the best fantasy players in, in redraft leagues this year. How early should people be looking to draft Elliott? Like, is he a first-round pick in redrafts, you think? Well, I know my buddy Sigmund Bloom over at Football Guys isn't even afraid to draft him, you know, within the first three to five picks, maybe even the top pick overall. I've heard Evan Silva at Roto World say that he would make Ezekiel Elliott his 1.01 in some drafts, and I can understand that. I mean, I certainly, I think from his upside, his upside is that high. I would probably... I would probably be more cautious, quote unquote, but, you know, my caution is, you know, somewhere, you know, eighth to 12th pick, you know, and to me, that's still pretty right. darn high because I think we, the, the biggest mistake we all tend to make with running backs is these guys are going to be so good that we start projecting them at, at the top, at the end of the first round. Um, but this is, if there's a scenario where you're going to, where you're going to do that, this would probably be it. Um, and so I, I would say to, I would say to most people, um, 
I would say to most people, you probably don't want to draft him in the first three to five picks right now at this stage of the game. Um, but but I think it may come down to that if he if he has some good fantasy moments. And you know, when I think of good backs, one of the backs that I there are two backs that I remember who were very skilled, who could carry the load for you and do everything you asked them to do on the field. Um, and they were worth it early on in their careers as rookies, and they were Edger and James and Eddie George. And I think that um, Ezekiel Elliott is in that realm. Now, Matt, we're just about out of time, but I'm going to take a little uh, liberty here and ask you a question on behalf of my mom. Because, you know, when I get a chance to talk to Matt Walden, I want to ask him questions on behalf of my family and friends. And I'm asking you a question on behalf of my mom, who is a, a lifetime, lifelong Patriots fan, um, she also has a master's degree, even though she's retired in early childhood literacy, her favorite player for decades, for years was Troy Brown. And she's looking for a new favorite Patriot Hearing all that, Matt is Malcolm Mitchell. Now my mom's first choice as a new favorite Patriot, given everything he brings to the table. Yeah. And it's all off the field. Basically when you given me the, yeah, literacy. It's, it's a great, yeah. yeah. Talk about that fit. Yeah. So it's a perfect fit there. Um, Malcolm Malcolm Mitchell also on the field will do do well um, by her. I think he's someone that um, he's a good route runner. I think that he has the um, the quickness that you're looking for, uh, and understands how to make sudden stops so that you can get separation on timing routes. And he's someone that will fight for the ball and win for it in the win in the air. And he can make some plays after the catch. He's an all around smart guy um, on the field and good guy off it. And I. I th- you know, there were some teams that were looking at him as a potential cornerback because of what they saw, at least in one game a couple of years ago, um, and he showed some potential there. Um, but I would say that he's, you know, he'll get tried first at wide receiver, and I think he'll have a, I think he has a good shot of having a decent career as someone who can contribute um, for the Patriots in a, in a winning way. Well, excellent. My mom will be happy to hear that, Matt. Thank you so much for the time today. Where can people find the post-draft RSP? You can find it at um, www.mattwaldman.com. You can read more about it and see some samples and things like that at www.mattwaldmanrsp.com. And so go to either one of those sites and you'll be able to find it. Definitely check that stuff out, people. Be the smartest person in your draft. Win your leagues using Matt Waldman's great work. Also, check out InsideThePylon.com. We rolled out some T-shirts this week. You can show your friends, people at the gym, everybody you know, people just strangers on the street, how much you love Inside the Pylon. This is Mark Schofield signing off on behalf of Matt Waldman. Thank you for listening.